Hi, welcome to our podcast. To learn more about Liverpool One Church, join us live, give financially and to get involved, head to liverpoolonechurch.com. We believe God wants to do great things in and through your life today. Enjoy this message. Church, it is so great to have you with us today. Why don't you go ahead and take your seats? Man, I'm glad that you made it out to church this Sunday morning or Sunday afternoon, whether you're in the room or joining us online. We are going to be continuing our current um, series that we've been in. And we've said that for the month of February, um, we're just going to be speaking about some really super life-relevant topics and really bringing them home and tying them in to all of God's Scripture so that we know and trust that actually following Jesus makes your life better and you better at life. Now, today... Emma and I together are going to speak to you about one of the most likely areas of your life that can create tension, and we're going to speak to you about relationships. Now, what we're actually going to try and do is dispel four relational myths, because last Sunday we dispelled four financial myths, and if you weren't in church then, you can certainly go ahead and catch up online. But today in church, we're going to talk about four relational lies that we think that culture kind of shouts to us and tells us to do, yet it's completely the opposite of what God's Word tells us to do. So we're going to be pulling apart the Scriptures to try and counteract some of these cultural myths. Maybe right now you're already thinking, well, like, why are we doing a relationship talk? Like, why would we be doing that in church? We believe that following Jesus makes you better at life and it makes your life better. And I'm convinced that that affects every area of our lives, including our relationships. I heard on the radio this week that Liverpool has some of the most unhappy couples in the UK. And I just thought, I'm not having that. I'm not, I'm not happy about that. You know, they partnered us with Nottingham as like having the most unhappy relationships. And I just thought, no, not in this church at least. That's not the way that this thing is going to work out. But I think that what I wanted to try and maybe start off by saying is that a lot of what we're going to speak to you about is common sense. But I think that we all know this, and that's that common sense is not common for all. So what I do want to do is say, look, maybe if you're married or maybe you're asking the question right now, like, is this going to be for me? Am I going to connect with this message today? Is this something that's going to relate to my life? Listen, if you're married, this is definitely something that is going to connect with exactly where you're at. Or maybe if you're not married, but you're currently dating, or maybe you've been single and you've been divorced and now you feel like you want to get back on the dating scene and you're a little bit like, man, I don't know whether this is going to be for me. I promise you, we're going to give you some God-given scriptural insights that will help where you are at too. And equally so, if you're single right now and maybe not even sure when you're going to start to date somebody, no idea where God is going to bring somebody into your life from, then I want you to know that this message is for you too. And I want you to like furiously be typing notes on your phone and in your notebook. And you can go home and put it on the top shelf because when the time is right, and God always has perfect timing, by the way, you can grab that notebook out and you can then apply it to your life at just the right time and season for you. But perhaps the one person I would say this talk is not going to be for, that would be 
if you are the player, like your goal in life is just to get with as many girls as you can get with. You want to go through them all and you want to date her whilst you're dating her and having fun with her. Or you're the girl and you're just like a man eater and you just literally, you just want to notch up the notches on your bedpost and it's like, yeah, I'm going to tick him off and I can get him. Like it's just not going to be a great conversation for you today. Or maybe if you're the kind of person that, is so wired to like go and get the girls. Every time you go out, you lie about your name, you lie about your job, you tell everybody that you're a fighter pilot and you were like the stunt pilot on Top Gun, but they couldn't credit you That's because you of social me. security. <laughs> yeah. Did I tell life. you that? that oh, there we go. Life. Exposing the real us right there. But you know what I'm saying? Like you create this like version of you that just isn't true and that's probably rooted in the fact that you're just not happy with the real you. Then chances are this is not going to be a great talk for you. But if you're married, single or dating, this is going to be a great conversation. So before Emma and I together go through and break down these relational myths, we'd like to give you an insight into our marriage as we answered some questions this week that our team asked us. Date night out usually um, because I think it's cool. We dress up, we get to go out. I don't have to cook. If we had a date night in, I'd end up cooking. And I think we get uh, conversation time over the table. So for me, it's a date night out. But don't spring one on me. I like them planned. Uh, date night out, definitely. I like going out in town. I like the city. It's vibrant. It's fun. And uh, yeah, I don't know. went for pizza in the food court and I had a calzone pizza which when I bit into it I realised I think the mozzarella cheese had been reheated three or four times because it had completely solidified so as I bit into it and swallowed the cheese didn't break off it was still attached to the pizza this sounds terrible <laughs> but I it, it covered it completely blocked my airways and I couldn't breathe at all. It was like a piece of plastic that was stuck in my throat. I think Luke realised after a while that I was in some sort of serious trouble and he jumped across the table and did the Heimlich manoeuvre on me right there in the food court at the Trafford Centre. And um, yet there was snot and tears and pizza coming from everywhere and I thought if this guy stays with me after this then he is a keeper and he did. One time we were, I think I'd been working nights and I'd woke up and Emma had texted me that she was going shopping so I thought that I would go and meet her. So she said she was going shopping to Asda. So I went to one Asda and was ringing her saying like, hey, I'm here, where are you? And she was going, I'm in the vegetable aisle, come and find me. And I'm walking up and down the vegetable aisle. I think it was the vegetable aisle going like, where are you? And it transpired that she was a completely different Asda. (laughs) So yeah, one of our early dates was literally in two completely separate Asdas. Possibly the best date we've ever had, actually. Can I only say one? Gets in my car and alters everything. The heat controls, the seats, the everything he alters in my car think about it most irritating habit seriously she has not got a clue (laughs) about you know like climate control in a car so she has to put everything on hot on my side and on her side nothing's ever allowed to be automatic she 
honestly, every time she gets in the car, it's like this. She sits down, hot, 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 close all events, so nothing's... It is, like, freaking me out all the time. And it's like, if you just press auto and just press your number, it does it all for you. It's so simple. Stressing me out even thinking about it. <laughs> No, he's never given me cause to check his phone. I think we're pretty transparent with each other and I know his passcode, he knows my passcodes. We have no reason to hide and I think that's just um, something that you build into a relationship. We've never felt that need. I'm saying we, he might answer this different, but I've never had a cause for concern to ever check his phone. Uh, nope. However, we do know what everybody's pin number is on the phone to get into it in fact i think everyone in our house has the exact same number so if you're ever going to steal a phone you could steal any one of ours and you could literally find out one pin code and get into everyone's phone uh, which in the grand scheme of things is not a bad thing because even though i don't check her phone i don't really feel that i have the need to if i did need to we leave our phones lying around and if she wanted to go on mine she could if i wanted to go on hers i could So I love how he leads our family so well. Everything he does, he does for us as a family unit, from um, building our home to navigating the different seasons and stages of the kids' lives, to helping me through some of my most difficult seasons. And all, most of all, he is the spiritual leader in our home too. And that's what I love and value about him most is that we don't just have a great time and great fun, but actually he leads me by the way that he challenges me often. Oh, her body. Probably can't say that in church. Okay, well, that's the one again. Um, loads of stuff, really. I think that she is, um, she's smart. She's a brilliant companion. We get on, we click. Uh, she's heaps of fun to be around. I think she's an amazing mum. I watch the way that she has brought up our boys and I think yeah she's the real deal there uh, she's kind she's compassionate she's thoughtful um, there's a bunch of stuff the list could go on easily love you baby <laughs> highly embarrassing I'm sure I hope it all you all got onto the fact that Luke thinks a date is Asda like <laughs> The That's, cafe was awesome. We'd only just seen that today for the first time, and I couldn't believe that our most memorable date was Asta. <laughs> like, pray for me. Um, you know, the scripture speaks into every part of our lives, and it particularly, God has a lot to say in the area of relationships. And that's because he knows that you can't have true happiness if your relationship is failing. You know what it's like if something goes wrong in your relational life. Every area seems to be affected. And uh, so God's, you know, he's concerned about how we are one to another, how we, how we speak to each other and, and, and how you're treated and how they're treated. And, and so the first myth that I want to blow out the water because we're going to look at a couple of lies that we allow ourselves to believe. And the first myth is there is no such a thing as a match made in heaven. Some people look at other people's marriages and go, well, you know, they're just a match made in heaven. There is no such a thing. 
as a perfect marriage that is made in heaven. A good marriage comes from two people who have decided to work hard at it so that the marriage so doesn't become hard work. Yeah. Though there is no match made in heaven, there is such a thing as a um, marriage designed by heaven. And the Word of God teaches us. In fact, in the book of First Peter, he talks directly into the area of relationships. He is talking to the early church. Peter was the guy who established the church. And he's talking into early relationships, how we are to be one with another, how we are to be, you know, um, relationally with each other in the church, how we're to treat people in the community. He talks about masters and slaves because that was the culture that they lived in. He talks about how we're to respect authority. And in chapter three, he talks about the very issue of marriage and he addresses husbands and wives. And I have heard this preached on. I've heard it quoted. I've had men say, but she should submit to me. I've heard it misquoted so many Sorry times. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> so many times that, you know, um, let me just give you a little bit of context as to why Peter was speaking in this way, particularly in the area of marriage. It was because at that time, Israel was under the governance of the Roman Empire. And as the Roman Empire began to grow and expand, so many different cultures and so much diversity was coming into Israel. And as more and more people came to the church, they were bringing their diversity and their different cultures into the early church. So Peter at this time is gathering all the Christians because what had happened was the truth had become relative. The truth was whatever you chose for it to be. Your truth could be different to their truth. And you made it whatever you wanted it to be. And so, so he gathers all the early Christians and he says, listen, our true north is Jesus. And we remember the teachings of Jesus and what Jesus spoke into our relational lives. And that is how we govern. We are held in steadfast to Jesus. And then he goes on to remind them. He says, wives, submit, to your, submit yourselves to your own husbands. Okay, girls, we only have to submit to one man, just the one you're married to. You don't have to submit to all men, just the one you're married to. And then it goes on to say this beautiful thing. If any of them do not believe in the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of the wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. So just let me pause there for a moment because I just think this is phenomenal. And I want to speak to anybody who's in here today, any woman who's in here today, and your husband or your partner is not yet a believer or a follower of Christ or does not come to church with you. I want to say hang in there because the Bible yeah. has something to say about that. And what he's saying is that your husband may be won over without words. Oh, I struggle with that hugely. <laughs> I've got so many words to say all the time. But actually, it's not the words that is going to win over your husband or your partner. It's actually your conduct and your character as you follow Jesus with your life. He's going to see something different in you. That's what he's going to be attracted to. It says that your beauty should not come from the outward adornments, such as elaborate hairstyles, the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Now, that's a bold statement right here in the heart of Liverpool. Remember, you know, trying to tell some of the Scouse girls, can't do your hair, can't have your lashes, can't get your brows done. Like, this is not what Scripture is saying, as it has been misquoted. What Peter is actually saying is, you go to town on the outside, but don't let the outside take priority over the inside. 
It's like, don't pay all your time, attention, and money getting all your hair done, your lashes on, your brows done, your tan done, and everything else done that we get done. Don't pay so much attention to that that you neglect who you are on the inside because the beauty that comes from within should radiate far greater than what goes on on the outside. He says, rather, you should be, your inner self should be that of unfading beauty and a gentle, quiet spirit, which is of great worth in the sight of God. God's going to give you a beauty that Botox could never give you. I'm telling you now. So it's like invest yourself into God and let him shine through your life. Then we jump into verse 7, and he addresses husbands. He says, husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you to the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Do you know, I'm talking to the guys now, that when you treat her disrespectfully or with contempt, or you withhold kindness from her, it can hinder your prayer life to God. Yeah. You want answers? You want God to answer your prayers? You want a great marriage? Then it doesn't start by just praying to God and hoping and believing that he's going to turn life around. It starts by you treating your wife right, whether you think she ought to be treated right or she deserves it or not. It starts there so that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, here's the thing. Just because the Bible says, wives submit to your husbands, guys, it doesn't mean you're automatically a good candidate to be submitted to. You've got to prove yourself. You've got to prove that you are a man worth submitting to. You've got to prove that you are a man worth following If you can show her that you love her more than you lust for her, she will follow you. If you can be a man who protects her rather than wanting to possess her, she'll follow you. If you can be a guy who can lead her in the way of good character rather than leaving her wondering what version of you she's going to wake up to today... She will follow that stability. If you can be God-honoring with your time, with your finances, with your character, if you can be an encourager and not a complainer, I promise you, you're a man worth submitting to. Okay, Scripture tells husbands, it says, tells the man, you ought to love your wife as Christ loved the church. Well, Christ died for the church. So that's a pretty tall order the men have to follow, right? Yeah. But I want to ask the girls, are you a girl worth dying for? Like, is that something that he looks upon you and goes, she is worth dying for? A girl is worth dying for, a woman who's worth dying for, she values her purity. She holds on to her dignity. She understands decency. Jesus is her dependability, not the man. Jesus is who she leans into. She pays more attention to the inner man than she does looking glam. She's a woman of loyalty and not jealousy. She doesn't spend her time comparing her marriage and her man to everything on Instagram. 
She's like, I'm loyal to the one that I've got. There was a reason you said I do. Nobody forced you, by the way. You went down the aisle and you stood there and said, I do. And there was a reason you said I do. I don't know why we say I do and then spend the foreseeable being I don't. It's like, there was a reason I said I do. And sometimes we need to go back and revisit the reason that I said I do. And then commit to building a life of love and loyalty with that one man. Are you a woman who communicates rather than manipulates? Mm -hmm. Like when I speak to him, am I trying to communicate something to him or am I trying to manipulate him to get something from him? Because there's a difference. Because these mouths are very powerful and we are very influential beings, girls. And we influence a lot with our mouth. You know, in the book of Genesis, it talks about when Adam and Eve were first created by God. It says they were in the garden, they were naked, and they knew no shame. My husband thinks heaven is going to be like that. (laughs) They were in the garden, they were naked, and they knew no shame. And the serpent came to Eve and entered into this conversation and said to her, did God really say you can't take the fruit? And then she takes the fruit and she eats the fruit. And then she goes to her husband. And I don't know how she was serving up dessert that day, but however it was, he couldn't resist you know, and and, and she offers him and he bites into the fruit and sin entered the world. In that moment, everything in humanity changed. But this is what I want you to see. Sin did not enter the world because Adam listened to Satan. Sin entered the world because Adam listened to the manipulative words of his wife. We're powerful. Our mouths are powerful. And so we need to be understand what we're saying and use our mouths to edify and encourage and build up and communicate and not not manipulate be people who say sorry even when we 100% know we're not wrong say sorry be the peacemaker because the day you said I do to each other right your flesh became one so anytime I remain in a mood with Luke I'm only ever punishing myself because we're one so forgive move on and walk in love. Yeah, so good. And I think that the second myth that we want to try and dispel, and I think that whether you're married or whether you're even dating, that this would apply to both groups of people. And that would be the myth that the grass is always greener. You know that idea that maybe sometimes you would look with somewhat of a jealous or an envious eye at maybe another married couple or a friend that you know, and you start to think about them in a way, and you think, man, if I was only with them, then my marriage would be better. If only I was having sex with them, then my thing would be so much better. If only I was with him, then he would speak to me in such a loving, kind, and adorable, and affirming way all the time. All he would do is just affirm me 24 hours a day, then my life would be better. But it's a lie. It's a cultural lie, the idea that the grass is always greener. Because actually, if the grass isn't looking very green on your side of the fence, and yet you're tempted to look at the other side of the fence, it's time to actually just sort your own lawn out and sort your own garden out. We've got some neighbours who, um, a bit of a new interest of mine, a bit of a new hobby. I'm sure it's probably only a fleeting thing. Emma's convinced that it is. It's a midlife crisis. Midlife crisis, perhaps. Like, I'm even planning on buying a new lawnmower. And, uh, you know, this is where life really hits, you know, and you know you're old when you're talking about, like, hey, should we buy a lawnmower? It's like, what happened to, like, a beefer massive? It's like, no, let's talk lawnmowers now. And I was looking at our neighbour's lawn, and it's so 
prestigiously just cut and it's so green and rich and we've looked at my lawn and I'm like yeah mine's like patchy brown and yellow like why is that and Emma's going well because we have a dog for a start and I'm going no I want a lawn like that and she happened to make this comment a few weeks back so true she said if you moved into next door and you were the one responsible for looking after their lawn it would just look like ours in a matter of weeks and it's so true because wherever I go there I am and I think that sometimes we make the mistake of thinking if only I had a lawn like theirs if only I had a marriage like theirs and I was in that then my marriage would be perfect and actually I just don't think that it's true at all and not only is the tension real for married people but I think that just because of the advancements in technology it's really um, relatable to to those of you that are maybe dating right now too because I think that a lot of you who are dating can sometimes do it with like one eye on the person in front of you and then one eye on seeing who's going to be the next person to slide into your DMs like she's good but is there going to be anybody better that flags up their profile on that particular app or on another app like you almost end up not committing to where you are because you're living in this preferable future that might not actually ever even materialize because you think that maybe the grass will be greener with the next one maybe the next one will be the one so I think that um, scripture doesn't have a lot to say about like how to have the perfect marriage but it does say how you can get better in your marriage as a man or as a woman so I think that the idea that the grass is greener is something that the writer of Proverbs speaks about directly. In fact, I'll read it to you in Proverbs 5, verse 1 through to 5 at first. And this is like a, think of it like an older, wiser gentleman speaking and pouring knowledge and wisdom into a young man or a young person. He says this, my son, pay attention to my wisdom. Listen carefully to my wise counsel. Then you will show discernment and your lips will express what you've learned. For the lips of an immoral woman are as sweet as honey, and her mouth is smoother than oil. Verse 4, write these words down. This is a game changer if you're dating or if you're married. Verse 4 starts and says, But in the end, she is as bitter as poison, as dangerous as a double-edged sword. In the end... The wiser man is trying to pour wisdom into the younger man and he's saying this, what story do you want to tell in the end? Are you just going to live for now? Are you just going to live as though that life is not connected? Or can you approach life and your marriage and your relationships understanding that in the end, you're going to have to tell a story? And what story do you want to tell in the end? Do you want to tell a story to your children and your children's children that's a story full of heartache and pain and regret and just lack of trust and lack of self-control and carnage? Do you want to tell that story? Or in the end, do you want to tell a story that is a story about honour and about stickability and about love and loyalty and devotedness and commitment. Sometimes you've got to decide ahead of time, what's the story that you want to tell in your marriage or in your relational life in the end? And then he gets really practical and he goes on to basically say, this is how you do it. This is how you make sure that you don't believe the lie that the grass is always greener. Verse seven through to nine. So now, my son, listen to me. Never stray from what I'm about to say. Stay away from her. Don't go there. If he was speaking to us today, he'd be saying, keep off her Instagram profile. Don't go near the door of her house, because if you do, you're going to lose your honour, and you'll lose to merciless people. 
all that you've achieved. Strangers will come and consume your wealth and someone else will enjoy the fruit of your labor. He's saying this at this, stay away, like do whatever you need to do. Come off TikTok, come off Snapchat. Give somebody else the pin code for your phone so they can check what actually is your Safari history or your Chrome history. Like make yourself accountable because if you don't, in the end, you're gonna work and toil all of your life and you're gonna end up losing the lot because you bought into the lie that the grass is always greener. Hey, listen, if your grass is not green, it's time to sort out your own lawn. I would much rather, and I'm not gonna, you know, I guess everybody's at a different place in life, but I think that we can all agree on this truth. Isn't your marriage gonna be so much better if you were to put all of that energy of rather than stalking her on TikTok or Snapchat or Instagram or driving past her house or trying to meet her in the bar or the club, if you were to put all of that energy into the relationship that you do have, like how much better would your marriage be? Because you're simply choosing to reapportion and align the energy that you already have into building something solid at home first. Don't waste your life living the lie that the grass is always Greener. Such great advice. I love the Bible. I just love the Bible and the advice that it pours into us. Um, let's look at a dating myth. Love at first sight. There is no such a thing as love at first sight. There may be attraction at first sight. So true. There may be palpita thanks. There may be palpitations <laughs> at first sight. <laughs> There may be um, butterflies at first sight, but there is no such thing as love at first sight. Why? Because love is not an emotion. Love is true love is the character of God. And actually, it's a gift that is given to humanity that we too can have the character of true love within our own DNA, but it is something that we grow we cultivate, we nurture, we work on it, and we grow love. Love is something between you that grows. It gets stronger over the years. It does not diminish over the years. So there is no such thing as love at first sight, true love. It comes from commitment first in a relationship and later a covenant through marriage. And love matures, love develops, and love goes. Now, there's no specific grows, not goes. (laughs) Now, there's no specific book in the Bible that talks about dating. It would be super helpful if there was, particularly for pastors when you have a church of a lot of young people, it would be so helpful if we had the book of Jimmy and it was all about dating. And I could just say, just go read Jimmy and he'll tell you. But there is no such a book. However, the Bible is full of wisdom when it comes to relationships. But we just sometimes we gloss over it because we don't really want to pay attention. He's too hot to ignore. So I'm just going to miss out what the Bible says. It's important. Amos 3.3 says, can two people first walk together unless they first agree. You can't walk together with someone you're not in agreement with. Now, I'm not talking about she's a vegetarian and he's a red meat eater. We could never be together. No. What we're talking about is fundamental life issues that really matter, right? How are we going to raise our kids? We've got to be aligned on that from the dating Mm. 
before we go into the marriage, before we end up having a family. You know, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Well, as for me, I go fishing on a Sunday. Well, that's never going to work. But you've got to ask these questions from the off when you're dating together. Your lives have got to be in alignment. 1 Corinthians 13 talks about what love is, the character of God, the type of love that God wants you to have in your life. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious. Love does not boast. You need to look for those characteristics in the person that you're considering dating. Are they kind? Are they, you know, gentle? Do they, are they envious? Do they both, like, look for these things? So, guys, when you're looking to date a girl, you've got to make sure that she's as hot on the inside as she is on the outside. Like, her inner beauty has got to be way more radiant than the pretty face that she's wearing on her shoulders today. Because one day, the pretty face will drop and everything else drops too. But what is on the inside remains. And girls, when you're looking for a guy, you've got to look way beyond biceps and triceps and six-packs that will evolve into a potato sack one day. <laughs> you've got to look beyond all of that, right? And you've got to look for the character on the inside. Is he kind? Is he patient? You know, or does he boast? And is he envious? It's, you've got to look for these things. We've spoke on relationship issues a number of times throughout the church. We used to take the whole of the month of February and teach on relationships. And um, we've not done that for a period of time. But one of the, my most favorite um, Bible stories that I would, would always be my go-to is the Song of Solomon. And um, it is a beautiful love story between the Shunammite woman and the king, then king of Israel. And... and this story is actually, it's a metaphor between our relationship with God, but it is an actual, beautiful, powerful love story. And there's so much in there to unravel when it comes to talking about the relationship between a man and a woman. But there's this, this one um, line that I want to elaborate on. It's in uh, Song of Solomon 1, verse 3. And it's the Shunammite woman, and she's speaking about her lover. She's speaking about the king, the one she's embarking on this relationship with. She said, pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the young women love you. So just a side note to you guys. Like, you want a good woman, then you need a good smell. Just saying. <laughs> I've lived with four men. There are... There are not four. <laughs> that sounds so wrong. Like we have three kids and some of them are now adults, I they're, think is the point you're trying adults. to make. Yeah. So what I'm saying is there are some smells that come from you guys that are not good. And hygiene is up here on us women. <laughs> we are like radar. You don't smell good. You're not even going to get a hello. And so it's like, realistically, you know, you want a good woman, then you do need to smell good. And by the way, we do know when you've just sprayed links over your three-day-old clothes, <laughs> we are onto it. We smell through that. So, but actually, when this phrase is talking about... But when you wear links, you I do get the girls. Links. You know, it's like it's a thing, isn't it? Like, all you need in life is just a spray of links Africa. And like, da-da! <laughs> That's all you need. <laughs> I just Can thought I I'd share that with everybody. Back so. to my story now, please. Okay. I don't even know where I am. Okay. So, 
I'm going to read the scripture again. She says, pleasing is the fragrance of your perfume. Your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the young women, they love you. Actually, there is a greater connotation to this passage of scripture than just meaning smell. When she says your name is like poured out perfumed oil, what she's saying is, she says your name gives off an aroma. In fact, when it's written in this context, your name, what she's actually talking about is his character. And she's saying your reputation goes before you. Everyone speaks well about you. There's something about you that people really like. Your name gives off an aroma. You have the aroma of security. You have the aroma of a God-honoring man. You have the aroma of a home builder. You have the smell and the scent of being a hard worker. No wonder all the young women love you. Mm. This is what she's saying. Your name gives off an aroma. So girls, if you're looking for a guy to build a life with, if you're looking for someone to start dating and start partnering with, find out about him first. What sort of a scent does he give off? What does his reputation say about him? What does his past say about him? What does his friends say about him? What does his pastors or his life group leaders say about him? Because you've got to be able to see more than what you just see now. Is he a man of goodness and grace and honesty and integrity? Is he going to be a man worth submitting to in the future? And the Shunammite woman, when she says to him, she says to him, hey, king, she's like, all the young women love you. What she's actually saying is she's like, hey, babe, all the chicks fancy you, but I'm the one who got you. She's like made up. I want to say to every single woman in here today, do not settle for anyone. Don't sell yourself short. Don't feel desperate. You are like what she did here. She's saying to him, you are such a good catch, but I'm the one who got you. Build a relationship with someone that you can build an enviable relationship with. Find a man that you can build a future with that people are going to say about you, I want what they've got. Yeah. You know, um, to help me deliver the fourth and final myth or relational myth that we're going to talk about, here is a really short clip from a well-known scene from the movie Jerry Maguire. (laughs) We live in a cynical world. A cynical world. And we work in a business of tough competitors. I love you. You complete me. And I just had. Shut up. Just shut up. You had me at hello. You had me at hello. So the myth is the idea that you complete me. And all the girls are like, oh, I love that. And all the guys are like, <laughs> you know, give me a big fat break, you know. 
But here's the bottom line. The idea, though, that in your marriage or in your dating relational life, or if you're single right now and you're waiting for the one, that person is not the one and they are not the one that completes you at all. Because like in our marriage, I love Emma and I love everything that she brings into my world, but she is not the making of me or the one that can complete me because I like you. I was designed by a maker and a creator in heaven who knows intimately of every detail and fabric and fiber of my being before I was ever even conceived in the mind's eye of my parents. I am made complete by the one who has created me. So the idea that someone else will complete you, someone else will fix you, someone else will make your life better, is actually a lie that's so dangerous because when you believe that, you're gonna place so much heavy burden and expectation onto your other half or onto your future spouse that they're never going to be able to live up to. They're never going to make the grade. They're always going to fall short. The idea that you complete me is just crazy. I think that there's, like I've mentioned, there's not a lot in scripture that will help you know how to have a better marriage. Like Em says, you know, it'd be so much easier if there was like one marriage book in the Bible or one dating book, that would be helpful. But there's not a lot that it talks about in the broadness of that topic. But what there is a lot of in scripture is conversation and talking points and verse after verse that helps you become the better version of you. In fact, the best version of you possible is found and made when you marry your life up with what the Word of God teaches you for a way to live in your life. And I think that rather Rather than trying to place an expectation on the other party to complete you, there's a better question that you should be asking if you're dating right now or if you're single. And it's not living life wanting the other person to fix you or fill the gap that exists in your heart or in your soul. It's a question that turns the owners completely away from that other person and directly onto you. And the question is, are you the person the person I am looking for is looking for. Because whilst you can't work on them, you can always work on you. Or maybe if you're married, maybe the question that you need to be asking rather than placing the unfair expectation and burden on them completing you is, am I the person that the person I am married to wants to stay married to? Am I that person? Am I that woman? Am I that husband? And what I love about Scripture is that, like always, it's just so practical. And in fact, Paul speaks about this issue directly. And if we were to just reference very quickly the most commonly quoted verse in every single wedding that happens ever, it would be taken out of 1 Corinthians 13. So when you're trying to ask yourself the question, am I the person the person I am looking for is looking for? Or am I the person the person I am married to wants to stay married to? If you just did these three things and had them not just as a, not just as a small post-it note in your bathroom downstairs, but if you actually live this out, it's a game changer. When Paul tells us and gives us the definition of what love actually is, he says really right from the jump, right from the off, it's these three things that matter the most. He says that love is patient. In other words, it means that I'm never gonna pressure you. I'm never gonna put you under duress. I'm never gonna force you to do something that you don't wanna do, but I'm gonna be patient towards everything that I wanna achieve in my life. I'm gonna be patient towards you. And then he goes on and he says, and love is kind. 
you know what kindness is? It's doing life in such a way that says, I'm going to be considerate towards you. Okay, I'm not going to lie. There's stuff that I really want to do, but your happiness matters more to me than my happiness. Because if you're both approaching your marriage like that, there's nothing but a win at the end of it. But I'm going to love you not only with patience, but also with kindness. And I'm going to think about you. I'm going to plan and scheme ways to please you, make you smile and make you happy. I'm going to love you in a way that makes you know that I'm thinking about you. And then he goes on to says this, and love is not envious. He goes like, it doesn't boast, it isn't proud, but he uses this word and he says, it's not envious. Love is not when you envy. Love does not envy. You know what envy is? Envy is when I'm having a real bad day or a bad week or I've got something going on and Emma's really high and she's flying and she's happy and her world's awesome and I feel like my world isn't awesome. Envy outworks like this. When she's high and I'm low, if I'm envious, I'm going to try and drag her down to my level. Because if I'm not happy, nobody else around me should be either. If I'm not happy in the marriage, then she shouldn't be either. That's what envy does. I mean, it's okay if Emma's happy and I'm happy and she's flying high, then I can fly high, then that's agreeable. We can do that. But really what Paul's saying when he says, don't be envious, don't don't drag someone else down to your level. Don't live life like that what kind of story do you want to tell in the end because if you want a great marriage want a great relational life if you're currently single and you're believing for someone that's going to come and be that life partner in your world start out by doing these three things understanding that you've got to be patient you've got to be kind and yeah. you cannot envy church as time has gone can we stand to our feet as we pray for every single one of you. If we can maybe just bow our heads in the room, close our eyes. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you know that oftentimes one of the biggest points of tension for us all is the tension that comes as a result of our relational lives across the broad spectrum. You know, the tension that some of us have in our marriage right now that feels like it's teetering towards divorce. And at the same time, you know, the other end where, God, we desperately would want to be married, but there just, there just isn't the one, there just isn't the person. There's, where's my future husband or wife coming from? Like, where's that person? So across the broad spectrum of all the tensions, we humbly come to you today and ask that you would help us follow what your word teaches. Lord, I pray that we as followers of Christ would know what it's like to have the best and the strongest and the healthiest of marriages and relationships. That God, that we would truly know what it's like to live life with a blessed relational life ahead of us. And we ask all of this in Jesus' mighty name. But whilst every head is still bowed and every eye is still closed, If you've just never made a decision to become a Christian, but you're here in church today, man, I'm so glad that you're here. But you've just never made that decision to cross over the line. You've never made that choice to say, I wanna follow Jesus. And now you've heard what we've been talking about today and you've been coming for a few weeks even and you're like, now's the time I wanna make that commitment. I wanna become a follower of a God who has created me. Then pray this prayer in your heart really simplistically right after me right now. 
Heavenly Father, I come to you today and I believe that you're real. I believe you've given your son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross for me so that I can know you. So today, forgive me of my sin and all the stuff that I've done wrong as I'm choosing to ask you to live in my heart. Come and live in my life as I choose from this day forward to follow you with every breath and every step that I have. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. We hope that you can take that message and apply it to your life. Also, don't forget to take a moment to subscribe, rate and review this podcast. To get connected or stay more connected to the life of Liverpool One Church and learn how you can join us live, visit liverpoolonechurch.com. Thanks again for joining us and we hope to see you again soon.